McShane Bible Study, day 117, and we're starting out in Numbers 4, and this is a chapter where God is instructing Moses and Aaron what all the jobs of all the different clans within the Levites are to do as far as when they move uh, the tabernacle, it has to be broken down, carried, and then built back up exactly which family is in charge of which part. And so it's interesting, you know, so we watched um, The Chosen season two, uh, episode two the other night, right? Mm-hmm. And Peter, in, in their version of the gospel story, Peter was upset at, um, well, maybe generally other people, but especially Matthew, right? He didn't think he was doing things the right way. And Jesus said to him, I've brought different people into this group because each one brings something different and unique to the whole, right? Mm -hmm. And he says, if you don't understand that, maybe you need to slow down, basically. And so it's a good picture. God is building a family, and each member of the family has a unique role in the family. So we see that with the Levites. They each have their job, right? And I'm sure... You know, of course, no doubt, within the family, each of these families, Marari, I mean, they're going to have specific jobs. You do this part of the job. You do that part of the job, right? Mm-hmm. And so they each do certain parts. Well, it's the same with us. We, When we gather as a fellowship in Christ, we each bring certain uh, things to the table that God has made us each unique so that we can add uh, our part and, and God is glorified more completely when all of us are working together in unity. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And then we're moving on to Psalm 38. And so David is, man, he's struggling. For one, he knows that he has fallen short. At the same time, he has enemies around him. It's kind of summed up pretty well um, just in these last few verses. Let's see. Uh, starting in 18, I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin, but my foes are vigorous. They are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. So he's crying out to God, knowing that, you know, he doesn't deserve it, but God is good, God loves him, and he's depending on him amidst the evil of enemies. Next, we're in Song of Solomon 2. And um, so, again, Song of Solomon is this picture. For one, it's a, a, a man coming to love a woman that becomes his wife. But it's a picture of Christ and his bride, right? And so in 10, he says, My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. So it reminds me, I don't know the chapter. Is it Isaiah 61? Somewhere between Isaiah 16 and 66, the chapter starts out, um, uh, Let God arise, right? Um, um, the the <coughs> this picture of God arising and moving. Well, here we see God calling out to us, for us to arise and become the full bride of Christ that he purposes for us to be, right? 
She says, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away, for behold, the winter is past. So what's winter? It's dark and cold, right? He says, the rain is over and gone. Flowers appear in the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. So it's a picture of God speaking to us. Come on. It is time to move and become one with me and have every blessing that I've promised you and to be everything for this creation that I've planned for you to be. See that? So we're going to move into Hebrews 2. And yesterday I was highly distracted <laughs> in Hebrews 1. I heard there was commotion yesterday in the, morning, in the beginning. Uh, we just got a new puppy. That was the first morning. And then... For most of the time I was doing Hebrews, my bride, Weston's mother, <laughs> was fuming mad, hovering over us, waiting for us to finish. And apparently, what did Callum do? <laughs> so we have allowed our boys, if they want to, to urinate uh, against hey. against the fence. Stop it. So occasionally that could happen, you know, historically. And apparently, Callum... Was peed on the dog. <laughs> <laughs> was uh, inspired by the dog peeing outside. He's our six-year-old, so he decided to pee against the fence, and the puppy decides to walk <laughs> under under the pee. <laughs> so Karen was standing there with a peed-on dog, needing to clean it and waiting for us to finish. So I didn't know all that had happened at the time. I just knew she was fuming mad and hovering over us while we were trying to read Hebrews 1. <laughs> so anyways, I'm not sure uh, how that came out, but that's what was going on. But today, hopefully, Hebrews 2 will go a little smoother. <laughs> and I think we will go in a little more detail. I, I, Hebrews is awesome. So uh, just looking at the... <coughs> The first four verses. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So remember, he, he in chapter one he talked about um, the 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 law was given, delivered by angels, and that God has sent something better. He has sent His Son Jesus, who the world was made through. Right. So that's a setup for this. He said, therefore, we must pay attention. We can't drift away from this message is too important to drift away for verse two. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So he says, look, the ministry of angels, the law of Moses was true. It was powerful word of God. And when the people turned away from that message, God judged him. When they lived according to that message, he blessed them. So this was all real and good and true. And yet it is far less than the ministry of sonship, the ministry that Jesus brought through his son, right? And so he says, how can we ignore this or not make this the central focus of our life? Three, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He says, we put ourselves in great danger, if we don't realize this is God's promise for us, his purpose for us, and the whole point of everything. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness 
by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So he said, look, Jesus spoke this out. There's many witnesses who saw this who have also spoken this out. There's been many signs and wonders through the Holy Spirit to make it very clear to us that these things are true. So we need to pay attention. And then moving on in verse 5. So I'm I'm just going to read it and talk. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. I think I said yesterday, a lot of people get carried away with angels. But he says, look, they don't know all the deepest truths of God. On one hand, they know far more about God than the fallen man knows. Like they can go into his presence very easily, right? Whereas we cannot see him. But at the same time, there are eternal truths that man has purposed, sorry, that God has purposed for man. And so these things must be obtained spiritually directly from the Father. They can't be given by angels. So if we put all our focus on angels, we're missing the mark of of the greatness of God. That's They delivered the law, which couldn't get people to understand the eternal purposes of God, right? They could never sanctify people. It was an important step. It pointed to the truth, but it wasn't the truth. And six, it has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Put everything in subjection under his feet. I think that's of David, right? Um, but so, if, assuming I'm correct, that's David that got, he's marveling that mankind who is so lowly, and, and now, of course, me thinking this is Paul writing this, is saying, mankind is low, and we, we, we quite rightfully in the flesh think of angels as higher than us, but yet God has crowned mankind with glory, with the purpose of having the glory of God in him, on him the honor of being in the family of God and put everything in subjection under his feet. Now, okay, let's see. Okay, another puppy distraction, but we're getting past it. Uh, Okay, so now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of suffering death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everything. So he says, look, we're still in this fallen reality. We're still in the world, right? But he says, now we're no longer of it because we understand Jesus came, he suffered, and he rose because he we deserve death, right? Mm-hmm. So he was a sacrifice for us. So he tasted death so that we don't have to. You see that? Mm-hmm. We don't have to go through the second death. 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory. How many sons? Many. Is Jesus the only son of God? No. Is he supposed to bring many sons to glory, Right? He's the only begotten son. He's special and unique, and we can never fill his role, right? But his purpose was to introduce the life of a son to mankind 
so that many sons would be brought to glory, as it says here. Let me start again from the beginning. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. How is Jesus made perfect? Through suffering. Through suffering. That's not the image of the 12-year-old being perfect, right? Or the baby being perfect. He did. He had the son of God, not the son of Adam, right? So he's unique. Mm -hmm. But he was made perfect through suffering. It's God uses the same template for us. Because we're in the world, there is a little bit of suffering. That looks different for each person. We don't seek out suffering. But in order to leave the reality of this world and come into the reality of his life, suffering's maybe not the quite the right word because we it, it's a little bit of a negative connotation, but it's discipline. It's it's transformation. It's turning from an earthly fallen vessel into a holy, righteous, eternal vessel that sees eternity, that has eternity in the heart and the mind, right? Mm -hmm. That puts our hope on things above, not on things of this world, right? 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. So, he has sanctified us, mm -hmm. and we become sanctified because he has sanctified us. So through his work, he's not ashamed of us. So just like we were reading, David was just feeling terrible because of his sins, right? Mm -hmm. But that, that can be a trap. Now, I'm not saying we ignore sins and just go on with a sinful life. That's, that's not right. But the, the opposite trap can be to have a sin consciousness where we go around saying, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I just go around sinning and I can never be transformed because that's what I am. No, he sanctified us. He is no longer ashamed of us so that we can stand with Jesus before the Father. You see that? Mm -hmm. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. So we are brothers with Jesus, right? saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. So he's quoting different scriptures from the Tanakh, the Old Testament. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. So we see here a new family being born, right? And families have different members, right? You have more responsibility then Callum, right? Mm -hmm. He can't handle the things you can handle. Mm -hmm. You can't handle certain things you will be able to handle when you're older, mm -hmm. right? It's the same with us in the spirit. We have different places. Just because we accept Christ does not make us a mature son of God. It makes us a baby, right? But God has the plan to mature us so that we can be like Jesus. But we have to know about his plan we have to want his plan. We have to seek the Lord. Or he mostly leaves us alone, right? 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So Satan had this power of death over us. He's the one that basically introduced death, right? 
he convinced Adam and Eve to sin. And so God said, okay, well, now you have death. Right? That's the consequence. And so there's this fear of death and it hangs over and Satan has used that against us. But Jesus tasted death so he could overcome Satan and deliver us so that we no longer have a fear of death. And if we have no fear of death, we have no fear of anything else in this world, right? If we're fully walking in the Spirit, we shouldn't be afraid of anything in this world. We trust in God in everything. That doesn't mean we do stupid things like, I'm going to jump off the Empire State Building because I don't have a fear of death. Well, that's provoking God, right? When when Satan uh, tempted Jesus with that kind of thing, he says, I'm not putting the Lord to the test. Yes, God could save me from that, but I'm not provoking you know, I'm not provoking God with that sort of thing. I'm simply, God hasn't told me to do that. So I'm obeying God, not you, right? But if God told me to do that, would I have any fear of it? No, absolutely not, right? We should have fear of nothing except God alone because he is all powerful. He is good, totally good. He loves us and everything he brings in our life is for our good. So when we understand that, we should have nothing upset us. We should have no fear of anything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for 16, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and, faith- <coughs> and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So he says God's promise is for mankind. It's to raise up sons with faith like Abraham, right? They can walk into this life. And he had to be made like us in every way in order to be the perfect sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And so he was a son of David, right? And he did experience everything that we experience. He suffered through these things. It's not like some people have this, that he just went through life and he was perfect and he had no problems. No, he suffered these things. He was tempted just like we are. But he was able to overcome everything. And what does that mean? It means obeying the Father in everything. He had perfect obedience. And so because of this, He's able to help us. He fully understands everything that we go through. So we can call on him. We can talk to him. We can ask for guidance in whatever we're going through. Because he understands everything that we have gone through. And he offers us a way to overcome everything in this world. In perfect obedience. Just as he is perfect. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's a good intro to Hebrews. And that's chapter 2. Uh, God bless you. God bless you.